I'm Kevin Molina, and you're listening to Loons Podcast. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm your host steve mcpherson and here with me of course is callum williams callum we're going to be talking a bit today about overcoming obstacles and growth mm. uh character traits okay. uh, plots the story the evolution of the story so i want to know what's your favorite novel wow now this you could throw this back to like you know, uh, high school or something. If, if you want, it doesn't have to be the most avant-garde thing. If you're not, if you're not much of a reader right now, I understand. I feel like I have stopped honest. reading entirely other than to my children. Yeah. I'm sad. <laughs> does anybody, does anybody have time in the modern world to read anymore? I mean, I love read. I like when I go on vacation, th- this is well, the exactly time. on vacation. Yeah. Like, when I have that moment, <laughs> yeah, when I have nothing else to do. Um, but every once in a while I will try to sneak in on the weekends, like, being on the couch and reading for an hour or something. And it's amazing because I used to just always read before bed and I would always read for a half an hour to an hour before I went to sleep or something like that. Um, But with kids, given that I spend half an hour reading to a kid and we're reading Harry Potter and we're like deep into the seventh book of Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. you know, to sort of do that. And then also then go read myself later on. It's a little bit of a kind of a heavy lift, especially that I spend a lot of my time during the day reading things for research and then editing and writing things to put out. So it's a lot of words. I I deal with a lot of words. So I I sort of pulled back a little bit, (laughs) but I mean like historically just, you know, like is there one that really sticks out in your mind? There's not, and it's it's a strange one, really, because uh, much like you, I I am a lover of words, and uh, you know, whenever I see a word that I'm not quite sure what it is, I get quite annoyed with myself, and I go and have a look at it <laughs> and, and see what it means and what context it can be used. Yes, and sometimes, um, you know, what um, what borders it can be used within as well, and and you know, can you can you have it jump over a hurdle of some sort? Can you use it somewhere else? You know, yeah, so, yeah. But, I know you. I know it's. I think I've noticed in your in your uh, commentary that you. I feel like you like to use words um, adjacent to what they might literally mean. Mm. But you know, like you were. Uh, I noticed you were favoring abrasive early on okay. uh, in the season. Uh, speaking of uh, Roman Metinier and some other some other players, you know, which I think was accurate. Sometimes though, it's like you know, abrasive is like jarring and sort mm-hmm. of like unpleasant. Yes. Uh, and it's sort of adjacent to like aggressive, but mm-hmm. it's a little bit different and it gives it just a little bit like an abrasive challenge, uh-huh. but then he would sort of expand it to bring in other sort of just sort of a way of being on the pitch, which is yeah. interesting. So. No, absolutely. I, I'm, I really like playing with words and, and, um, somebody, uh, somebody brought up one, which I guess I, I have said a few times, uh, a phrase that I've said a few times, uh, someone brought it up to me the other day. Uh, a myriad of maybes. Sure. Um, and, Myriad's and a lovely word. Myriad's lovely. Yeah. I. I that it's almost like when you say it, you're stroking silk. It's it's a really nice word. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I just enjoy playing with words. But to, to answer your question, I I don't really have a novel that I really really like. To be honest, not not, not that I don't, don't like any novels. I just I prefer to read um, a lot of a lot of other 
a lot of other things other than other than novels. I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a massive okay. sit down and read a book type guy. Sure. Um, unless I, I do like autobiographies. Okay. And I like reading those on vacation. Yeah. You know, um, my perfect setting would be sitting on a beach somewhere with a pina colada and a and a book, you know, mm. and an autobiography, a, typically a, a soccer player of some sort, and um, taking in inf- information, you know, that that's sure. my type of reading. So, um, yeah. sorry to disappoint you there. I don't really have no, a... No, that's okay. You know. I, these are always, you know, conversation starters. I don't really know where they're going to go. So <laughs> I, I like to throw it out there and, and fire it off and see what happens. I mean, I do enjoy nonfiction as well. I feel like I haven't read as much of it recently. I have been reading the Encyclopedia Blazer Tanica, uh, the Men okay. in Blazers book, in preparation for their upcoming appearance yes. on Friday here at the Ordway, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be really fun. I'm really excited for it. I've been listening to a lot of of the podcast as well. I yes. really enjoyed Raj's American Fiasco podcast about the American team in 98. It was fantastic. So, uh, yeah, it's it's that's going to be really fun. And, and the Encyclopedia Blazer Tanica is, is great. It sort of has some of the vibe of one of the books that really got me into um, basketball writing was, uh, or it was sort of, I guess it was, I'd already gotten into it because of Free Darko, which was a website uh, mm-hmm. that had sort of off the wall, you know, artistic basketball writing. They had a, an encyclopedia that they put out, sort of like the encyclopedia Blazer Tanica, except about basketball. And it sort of had great illustrations and funny anecdotes and little articles and stats and charts. And it was just sort of a fun jumble of, of different viewpoints and perspectives Mm. and narratives and all that stuff. And really sort of a quick way to steep yourself in the culture of something. Right. Uh, And I think the, the, the encyclopedia blazer Tanica does that as well. So that's one of my bedside, you know, I'll just take a a look at a couple entries tonight. So, well, I mean, I must admit I'm a big, uh, I'm, a, I'm an avid podcast uh, podcast listener. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to get my wife into podcasting and everything at the moment because she's yet to really make that leap. But, sure. Um, uh, yeah, just novels, not not really. But but I, actually, do you know, I, just in terms of books that I read and grew up on, obviously Harry Potter was, okay. was big. Um, yeah. I I grew up on The Lord of the Rings, mm. um, which, which were great. And also... Um, there's uh, an author, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Yes. And and I was very, very much as a child into that. And I remember my, my parents reading that to me growing up and yes. everything. And so when the movies came out, that was a thrill for me, for sure. But yeah, um, yeah that that would be the only sort of reading that I can ever remember, to be honest. Did you read Did you read the Game of Thrones books at all? No, I didn't actually, no. Yeah, that might be one to dip into if, okay. you've, if you've been into the, you know, I think that continuum of... Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, C.S. Lewis, like that sort of fantasy. Uh, I mean, you know, George R.R. R. Martin, there's some things about his style that sort of, he's very in-depth. There's a lot of emphasis on um, food and like lamprey pie and sort of, there's like, there's a lot of world building, kind of like Tolkien in that way that it's like, it's steeped in the, a lot of, from what I understand, a lot of the Lord of the Rings was less about, you know, this is the plot of the story I want to tell more. This is a world I want to build. And then the story is sort of the excuse for the language and mm. all of the stuff that he did in there. So I think George R. R. Martin has some of that with game of Thrones where it's like his interest is in the world building and then also sticking it in the eye of traditional fantasy, which is obviously <laughs> what he's known for and what the show is known for. Um, but the books are good. I sort of ran out of steam after the second book and I okay. just watched the show. Uh, but, uh, cause the show was sort of tightening things up in a way that I found really appealing. So I'm excited. That's coming back also as well. Uh, yeah. What a weekend by the way. I know it's the, there's a couple, <laughs> there's a couple things going on. We should probably move on to uh, actual soccer here. Mm. I, as much as I would love to discuss the, the great <laughs> works of literature with you. Maybe we'll have um, a coffee afterwards. Shall we? Yeah, exactly. Here we go. <laughs> 
<laughs> I have a lot of time this week. Um, <laughs> let's talk about that Red Bulls game. Uh, and then I'm going to talk about overcoming obstacles and growth myself and sort of why I found it really compelling to watch, even as I was biting my nails uh, through mm-hmm. the last half hour, I would say. But uh, so I have a lot of thoughts about why this is was particularly harrowing and satisfying. But I like to start with your thoughts on the win. And especially I'm interested in the the, the change in formation and how that changed up the style of of play. I don't think it changed the style too much. I think it was still fast, uh, one-touch, two-touch passing in tight areas and, and spreading the ball out wide as quickly as possible. And I don't think from an attacking aspect, it really changed too much. But defensively, the three centre-halves were there to mark Bradley Wright Phillips. And obviously, you know, for the last couple of weeks and for the majority of the last last couple of years, really, Wright Phillips has played up front on his own. But they threw a bit of a spanner in the works by starting Matthias Jorgensen, who I thought was was relatively ineffective anyway. A but, spanner is a wrench for you those know. of you who are not. Sorry, rich. yes. Um, <laughs> I, spanner in the works is a great phrase, though, so go with that. I just want to be clear. There we go. We speak the same language, but we don't, really. Um, <laughs> so Yeah, Jorgensen is 18, right? He's He is, and look, he's a prodigy. Look, I'm excited to see what he does in the next couple of years. I think he's been brought in, really, with the, with the future in mind. Right, Phillips is 34 now. And, you know, I, I wonder if, you know, he's, he's not going to be around forever. And I, I wonder how long he can carry on. But I think Jorgensen is, is viewed as the replacement. So we'll wait and see. But anyway, so I was excited to see him. Um, but he was um, he, he was marked very well. I thought the performance of the three centre-backs was, was really, really good. And Manone was called upon when he was needed as well. There was several really good saves and, and stern saves as well. The one free kick that he saved from Kaku, I remember. It, it's, a, it's a good height for a goalkeeper. It's a save you you would expect a goalkeeper to make. Um, but sometimes you, you, you don't know the, the pace and the whip that's behind some of these free kicks that are hit at such velocity. Um, you know, I, I, I thought Manone gave a, a really good account of himself, you know, and, uh, you know, the fullbacks did okay as well. Um, I thought Ozzy Alonso was was much, much better. Mm-hmm. I thought Grey Goosh was okay. Um, I thought Angelo Rodriguez gave a good account of himself as well. He, he did exactly what Minnesota needed him to do and got the two assists on the on the two goals as well. So um, I was pleased for Abu Dunladi with the finish. It was an instinctive finish. Um if ever there's a player who was in need of a goal, it was him. Yeah. His confidence has been about as low as humanly possible over the last couple of weeks for various different reasons. Um, and then, you know, uh, look, he, he came out at, at halftime because I think that's when the manager's minutes. Yep. But um, Romario came on and did ever so well with the finish. Uh, I don't think he was particularly convincing outside of that. But nevertheless, uh, he stretched their back line once or twice. But um, I don't think there were there were enough um, enough secondary runs to support Rodriguez, uh, in my opinion. But nevertheless, look, Rodriguez was superb, and the finish from Romario for the second goal was was fabulous, and um, it's a goal worthy of winning any game. And uh, look, it, it it really should have been three as well when Gregush. Yeah, that's what I wanted to call out. You know, I mean, he he hit the ball harder than I any Minnesota player I've ever seen, really, maybe with the exception of Alexi Gomez, but... Um, Bashkin Kadri in practice. And Bashkin Kadri in practice as well. That's <laughs> a very Kadri good shout, really. yeah. <laughs> but in terms of a match day, Gregus um, absolutely put everything behind that. And and you have to give credit where credit's due. I mean, that is a simply stunning save from yeah. Lewis Robles. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think the Red Bulls have got some issues, no doubt. Um, but look, Minnesota performed 
very, very well and were worthy winners at Red Bull Arena. Yeah, the uh, Bradley Wright Phillips, again, uh, you know, but for, you know, Jorgensen sort of misplayed that, that, that early opening he had where I don't know if Jorgensen was going for the shot exactly or if he had fully decided what he was doing, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a great look. He had... Yeah, Bradley Wright Phillips open sort of. Oh, when he go when he hit across Monone. Okay, yeah. yes, I know what you mean. Yep. Yeah, yep. and it was like, and you could see. I think uh, Bradley Wright Phillips was like, ah, hey, like he sort of gave him this look like. Yeah, but at the same time, it's he's eighteen. Yeah. you know the yeah. angle. The angle wasn't impossible. We've seen people score from that sort of angle before. Yeah. Uh, it's his first start in MLS. He wants to make an impression. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you. I think I might have even said in the commentary. I think he's gone for the wrong option. Right. Yeah. 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 But you can't blame him. Eighteen-year-old no, no. kid there. You know. But it, that also showed, and I think a couple of 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 Wright Phillips's chances showed how man. You just think any moment he could do it. You know, yeah. like any any opening. He's had a couple amazing finishes against against us for sure. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah. There's you know. You always follow it was within inches, you know, like if it was just the right timing, he was going to, he's not, it wasn't one of those situations, especially in the second half where you're like, oh, they're not getting it to him. You know, it's like the couple of chances that you, you get, you give him two chances, you expect him to score on one of them. Basically. Yes, yes. Uh, he is, he is very dangerous. So, uh, but yeah, 34, you know, like, I don't know how much longer he's going to be at that level, especially not as a particularly large uh, forward. Um, well, I, I, I don't necessarily think the, the size of the human being necessarily matters. I think with him, it's all about movement off the ball. Yeah. And and it, it has been wonderful in this league. It's been a joy to watch over the, the last, you know, six, seven years that he's been here. Um, I, I wonder if he's going to get enough service in this team. I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Muil. Muil obviously left the field early uh, with an injury, which we don't know the extent of yet. Right. I like Royer. I think Royer's a good player. And Kaku, uh, when he wants to play, um, I, I think can provide Wright Phillips with, with a plethora of opportunities. So uh, do I expect Wright Phillips to to have a 20-goal season at the age of 34? No. But I've said this year after year after year. You know, a couple of years ago, I was said, <laughs> sure. right, he's 31 this year. Right. I'm not sure he'll be as effective. <laughs> yeah. He's 32, he's 33. Last year, he got 20 goals, and apparently that was a poor year for yeah. him. So, so that just about sums it up. Yeah. Well, so for me, the thing that I, I found sort of sad, I found satisfying about, about this game was that I thought that the, I thought the first two wins and uh, leading back into the, the preseason as well, I was talking to one of the players talking about this. I can't remember who it was now, <laughs> but uh, that those two wins really showed what this team can do when they get to play their way with possession, uh, you know, sort of building out of the back, getting the ball up to Darwin in a seam and Darwin sort of creating out of it. I thought that the two losses that followed really showed like a team not really able to figure out what to do when they don't get to do that. Um, and I thought this, this game really showed off playing ugly on the yeah, road yep, and, yep. and, and, and learning to do that to sort of absorb the buildup of play and then make a couple of key passes going forward and make the most of those opportunities, because this wasn't like, Oh, we have all of our guys moved into position. A lot of the attacking was, you know, three guys yep. and, and, and two or three passes. <laughs> and that was basically what they had. Minnesota was outshot 13 to nine outpossessed 63% to 37%. Uh, most of that in the second half um, where they were sort of holding back. Yep. Uh, they had they had 35 clearances <laughs> to uh, Red Bull's seven. So, uh, you know, that was, it's sort of, the, that's the texture of the game and they came away with a win. Um, and I like seeing, this is sort of the, the, you know, I started with the novel thing is because it, one of the things that hasn't really happened with Minnesota over the last couple of seasons is 
seeing growth and the seeing sort of evolution of the team stylistically over the course of, of, of a season, you sort of, it's sort of been fits and starts. It's like, yeah. can't really put anything together, uh, add somebody's provides a boost, but it doesn't really define the team. And so this, this way of sort of seeing, well, this is how they like to play, but if they have to play ugly on the road, this is how they're going to do it. And you sort of, sort of begin to see this, this is a different formation option. You know, this gives you wing backs. They can fall back, but they can also get forward. I, I love following that kind of stuff. And it's, it, it was, I mean, it was like harrowing down the stretch. <laughs> I was, I was saying, I was saying to somebody else, uh, uh, on Slack here, like during the game, that this is the, the last 30 minutes was like a, um, like one of those dreams where you're being chased by a monster that never stops running. And you, can't, <laughs> you can't get away. It was like, it just felt like this was just going to keep coming and coming and coming and coming. And it was, uh, so it was terrifying. Uh, but very satisfying to come to come away with that win. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. There was sort of wave after wave after wave of of opportunities for the New York Red Bulls, and uh, you know, I, I thought, as I said earlier on, Steve, I thought our backline really defended admirably. And um, look, it's a credit to the coaching staff as well for for having the 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 know how and, quite frankly, having the nerve to go and do that as well. Because to abandon the the system. And the the formation more than anything that you and your team have been most comfortable with over the course of the last three years, mm-hmm. it says a lot. And I, I think they got it absolutely spot on because I I can't remember saying Wright Phillips's name too many times to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I think what they did is they they provided sort of a the the, the three centre halves provided sort of a Minnesotan brick wall, if you will. You know, they the Red Bulls found it very difficult to get through. You know, they they seem to be always loitering on the edge of the penalty area, but they very rarely found a way through. I thought the reading of the game of the three centre halves was very very good. Mm-hmm. Chris Armas, the head coach of the Red Bulls, actually said before the game that he was um, he was impressed with the Minnesota back line um, that they usually have there. You know, he was very very complimentary to the press of Ico Parra and uh, Michael Boxall as well. So, uh, and now I think if, if you were to ask him, he would put Brent Coleman in that uh, conversation as well. So um, it, it was good that Brent Coleman came in, got his first start of the season. I think, um, you know, he showed a, a little bit of rust when he came on against New England Revolution and, and a, a little bit in the opening 20 minutes of the game at Red Bull Arena. But I think you, you as a player, you just need to get those that first sort of 45 minutes out of your system, mm-hmm. get yourself back into it, you know. Um, and, and the same can be said for Abu Danladi as well, I thought. Um, but we all know that the raw talent that the young lad has, but um, I think there was a couple of, of runs that he made that, that weren't perhaps as um, as smart as, as he usually is. But... Um, Look, I thought ultimately it, it was it was a good showing from just about everybody, and yeah. um, you know now, you know I think people are starting to really take notice. I know it's still early, but so myself and Jamie and Kendra went to the MLS offices on on the Friday, and then on the the Sunday we recorded a couple of things on on MLSsoccer.com, um, and uh, everybody had nothing but positives to throw our way about Minnesota United, and yeah. I think it's finally it. This this plan, this grand master plan that Adrian Heath has had over the last couple of years, I think it's finally coming into fruition now and people are starting to take notes. Yeah, I think that it was good to see uh, sort of along those lines of what seeing it, 
Adrian's like plans come to fruition to see, we talked last week about how Angelo looked good in the first half against the Rebs, but there just weren't a lot of options after like for the step in the next step. This, this time around, you saw Angelo doing a lot of the same stuff. And then there was, there was more for him mm. uh, to sort of pay off. Uh, and obviously, you know, worked hard, got that assist. He's not going to, I think he, I can't remember. I don't think he got a credit for the assist on Romario's goal. Cause he, it bounced off of uh, another player, but oh, it was, come all, on. it was all his work. Ugh. I mean, it's in the box where he didn't get it. Sorry. That's ridiculous. But again, it's like one of those things we've talked about this before with Angelo, where we're, we're not necessarily expecting him to like come in and notch up like double digit assists and goals every time, but he's doing all this work that is not always going to show up in the box score. Yeah. Um, and it's showing off that, that like, this is what, and if they can develop a thing where they both have that as a, as a weapon in the toolbox, and then they have the sort of Romario Abu look of, you know, running in behind with, with, with speed and pace. I think that, you know, that's, it's fun. Then you, you've got, you've got to change up. You've got two different options to sort of look at how you build your attack. Yeah, you do. And this is the thing as well. I've seen Romario, uh, uh, Angelo Rodriguez, I beg your pardon, getting a, a boatload of abuse uh, since he's come to Minnesota United, really. And a lot of it is unfair. Look, I mean, is he the, you know, this poignant um, line-towing, fast, 20-goal-a-season centre-forward that many of us crave? No, he's not. But, but that doesn't mean he's not a, a good player. That doesn't yeah. mean he doesn't work and he doesn't fit into this system. I think somebody... Um, very cleverly described him and compared him to an old English centre-forward called Emil Heskey. Now, Emil Heskey, for many a year, played up front for England, and he played uh, at the height of his career for Liverpool and um, played for Leicester City as well and played for Aston Villa for a while. He um, he, he was one of these big, bruising centre-forwards that would do pretty much what Angelo Rodriguez does and, and hold the ball up and allow either, if you've got a smaller center forward playing alongside you, you would tee it up to him or you would get the players around you involved. And if there was such a thing as secondary assists in soccer, right. Emil Heskey would, he would have had some incredible numbers. And I think, um, I think Angelo Rodriguez is, is very much in that realm as well as if secondary assists were a thing in our sports, You'd find his 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 name in that column more often than not, and mm-hmm. um, and that's fine. And, and look, if Angelo can if he contributes, then with seven eight of his own goals this year, great, no problem at all. But if the players behind him have got you know nine ten goals themselves, great, job yeah. done. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big fan of Angelo Rodriguez. Um, look, he's not perfect. Everyone knows this. If mm-hmm. if he if he was perfect, he'd be a $30 million striker playing in the Premier League. Sure. Uh, and I say that with all due respect, but he's ours. He's he's a very effective centre-forward in this league, and I thought we saw the best example of that at Red Bull Arena on Saturday. Yeah. Let me ask you a formation question. You sort of touched on this when you talked about the uh, the coaching staff and sort of making this change to the formation. Um, and this is probably a question I will ask players as well, and perhaps even coaches. But um, I think that we as, as as spectators sometimes get hung up on formation, uh, like the shift in formation and what it changes and everything like that. Do you feel like the players, are players out there saying, this is the formation we should play, this is what I think we should do? Or when you, when you make the move and you say, we're going to move around to this formation, is it more sold on, well, it's similar to this, but it allows us to do this specific thing. Your role just changes a little bit in this way. Like, do you think there's that, that analysis from the players where they're basically out there going, I'm going to play what I'm asked to do? I think it's a bit of both. I, th- I think uh, a formation is a, is a generic guideline for a player, right? You're told you're going to play in this position, 
um, and this is why. And then the next the next level is what what your role is because you you can be a number six, but your role can be completely different to to playing as a number six for the previous team you've played sure. for. You know, right. um, so a lot of a lot of it depends on what the coaching staff ask and. I think everybody, every single player has their own personality, right? Every single player has their own ideas of what they want to do and, and how they think they can better themselves in their singular position. But ultimately, it does come down to the coaching staff and and what those players should be doing. They should listen to the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that that doesn't happen. Sometimes players are slightly erratic. Sometimes they... They go off on their own and are slightly wayward, um, but I, I think ultimately it's sort of a poor answer to your intelligent question there, Steve. But it's uh, <laughs> ultimately it's a bit of both. I think I'll ask Watto or somebody. There you, you go. Know, yeah, like, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about this. <laughs> um, a couple other things I wanted to note. Uh, first of all, I think Roman Mantinier is my new favorite player um, <laughs> because he's just. It was referenced a couple of times in the broadcast, but he's just a machine. He was just there was that play where he was all the way up. And then he was all the way back yeah. within seconds. And he's just, he just goes hard all the time. I love that about a guy. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's so much fun. Well, he fits in with uh, the, the nature of Minnesota, doesn't he? And, and the, the hardworking ethic that, that Minnesotans have. And yeah. I don't think anybody is, is ever going to criticize a player for, for giving everything that they have. And that, that's not just here. That's all around the world. You know, if, if you lose the game 3-0, but you gave absolutely everything you possibly can, then I think the the disappointment is um, is softened slightly, you know, yeah, and um, yeah. as a fan anyway. So, um, look, Romain Metanel is is an exceptional player. We were very lucky to get him, let me tell you, because uh, there were a whole host of teams around the world that were, were looking to, to pinch his signature from us. Mm-hmm. Um, he, is, uh, he is a perfect fullback for the system that Adrian Heath wants to play. He's the fullback that we, and again, I say this with all due respect, he's the fullback that we we probably wish we would have had from the get-go. Um, he is, uh, he's fast, energetic, and and that was a very good spot by Jeremy Watson, by the way, on the broadcast to to notice that Metanau had, had ran the full 75, 80 yards, whatever it was, at blistering pace to get back and make the challenge required. So he's going to give everything. He really yeah. will. And I know, I know the coaching staff love him. I was having a having a glass of wine with the coaching staff uh, one of the away trips after one of the one of the victories I can't remember if it was Vancouver or San Jose and um, they were saying they love him because he, he does everything that they ask um, he's one of these people who is very very respectful to them and um, you know he's one of these yes coach I, I understand coach absolutely coach and then when he walks away from the coaching staff he's laughing and joking with the players the players all love him Um he fits into this club very, very well, and he, he, he works his backside off. He is uh, he's a fine addition to this football club, no doubt. I think I'm gonna have to polish up my French a little bit and and try to get an interview. Uh, oh yeah, I would like to do it in his language. So it's a good chance to brush up my high school. French, there you go, which is rather rusty at this point. But <laughs> I think I can do it. Uh, I'd also last thing I want to point out without Darwin Quintero. Um, which is a, a thing not to be underestimated in terms of again not just. Uh, a, a huge success, but again, sort of along that lines of like, how do you meet challenges and how do you overcome obstacles to meet the challenge of losing your big playmaker, like possibly an MVP in the league, much less obviously the most valuable player on uh, Minnesota United in terms of that. Um, 
to, to not have him available and then to step up and win a game like this. Like you said, to give it, give it their all. It, it wasn't just like a two, two, one win that was fluky and we got away with it. It felt like everybody gave everything they had. And so it was very satisfying. They did. And no Miguel Ibarra as well. Let's yes. not forget. Yeah. So, I mean, it was um, two of, of the, two of the star players really for Minnesota United. And I must admit, Steve, when I had heard that they hadn't traveled and they weren't available I, I thought to myself, my word, that this is going to be an uphill battle yeah, yep. uh, that we're going to be climbing for a long, long time. And, um, you know, it, it, look, fair play to everybody. Well done to everybody who, who came in and gave their all. And, um, you know, as I said, well done to the coaching staff as well for, um, for, for putting the idea to the players of how they were going to play. And um, it'll go down right now, in my opinion, as probably, uh, probably the the most eyebrow-raising victory of the season so far. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's look ahead to NYCFC. Mm. Um, this game is coming up on, I think it's Saturday. Where are we, where are we playing this Where are we playing? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. I think it's, uh, it's 400 North Snelling, some, some something somewhere, like that. Somewhere in the yeah. way. So anyways, um, here's the million-dollar question I want to ask about this game, which I think is the million-dollar question. What I know we just talked about the over-importance of this. What, what shape and what lineup – does MNUFC come out with? Because I know, like, you guys touched on this in the broadcast, which is, you know, there's sort of a, a collision here between Adrian's policy, which is you do not change the lineup when you win, which is great. But you have to imagine if Darwin is good to go, he's got to be in that lineup. And then what does that do? Because how does that change everything else? I mean, you want to reward, I feel like you want to reward Brent, you know, for coming yeah. out and playing and doing a great job. But if it moves back to a 4 2 3 1, you know, does that leave Brent on the bench because you don't want to lose Opara or Boxel? So I don't know what's, you've had a little time to think about it. Like what's your, what's your, what's your take? Um, if we need the hot take music, I've got it for you. So, <laughs> so hot right now. Um, if I was Adrian Heath, I would put Darwin Quintero back on the field because how can you not? Yeah. Um, while some of his tendencies can be slightly frustrating, he is by far the best footballer that we have on our team and is capable of something out of nothing. He's the one player that we have that consistently has you on the edge of your seat, you know? Um, look, I think, um, I, I think Abu Danladi will make way. I think we'll go back to a 4-2-3-1. I think Brent Coleman will unfortunately make way for, look, it's, it's unfortunate for him. Um, but this is, this is, a part of being a team, right? You have to understand your role in the roster. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, whilst it's incredibly unfortunate and, and borderline unfair, really, to someone like Brent Coleman, um, he is a pro's pro. Yeah. And as much as he will want to play in this game, being from this part of the world as well, he will know. He will know that, look, I'm not first choice at the moment. That can change. But right now, I'm not first choice. And I think he he's one of the people, he's a human being that will say, I understand why this is happening. And for the good of the team, I'll, I'll sit on the bench. And, and when I'm called upon, I will give everything. So um, that's what I would do. But we'll wait and see. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm sort of with you. And I know that I'm sure that Brent is, you know, for, you know, obviously, who knows? Everybody has different feelings all the time about it. I know. He's one of those guys who's going to be like, this is this is how what you have to do to win. That's all. That's all he cares about is the team winning. So, um, yeah, I, my my gut sort of says that it goes back to four two three one, especially also it, it being at home, you know, and that being what Adrian likes to play and feeling like they'll be able to be on the front foot a little more. Um, I, the three four three was obviously a somewhat conservative uh, choice. Uh, 
for a game that they knew was going to be a, a you know a slug a slug fest basically. So I, I can see them trying to go four two three one at home uh, push out a little bit more. Um, how do you? What's your assessment of NYCFC? They are o one and four currently. Uh, the they're in a little bit of upheaval. Matricia is fun, but nothing's <laughs> happened really yet. As someone uh, who put him in my fantasy lineup this week, I can die. <laughs> well, look, I mean, um, uh, <laughs> so being in New York City this last weekend, um, you know, we, we as well as playing the Red Bulls, we, we got to chat with a lot of New York City FC folks as well. And, and a good friend of mine uh, who will be here for the game, actually, he does a lot of the radio co-commentary. Uh, he's uh, the Sporting KC colour commentator. We work together uh, in England on, on the Premier League and FA Cup and MLS. A guy called Matt Lawrence and, and he is very much um, you know, he, he he knows the lay of the land of New York City FC and, and he was telling me a couple of, of intriguing things which I, I probably can't share but but what I what I do know is... The overall tenor of the... Yeah, what, what, I, what I do know is, is that um... I think there is an obvious sense of disappointment with NYCFC right now because of their ownership group being the City Football Group, who, of course, own Manchester City and uh, Melbourne City in Australia. They also have a club uh, in Japan and, and another one elsewhere as well, I believe. Um, they want to win. Yeah, That's the City Football Group way. They want to win, and, and right now they're not. Um, I think it's it's... A lot has changed since Vieira left. Vieira had them playing some lovely stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like some of the individuals. You know, Morales has had a couple of niggling injuries, so I'm not sure he's going to be available, which will be a, a huge plus for Minnesota. Um, Jesus Medina is a good player. Uh, Jonathan Lewis, who, of course, just got his uh, first cap for the United States a couple of weeks ago, is also one to watch for the future. Mitricha is... Um, is a really intriguing one, Steve, because I, I remember when I first saw that that uh, they were going to sign him, I thought to myself, that's a heck of a lot of money for for someone who, all due respect, wasn't playing in a, in a high-caliber league, you know, and, and and did well, but he wasn't breaking records. You know, he was he was just doing well. Yeah. Nine million, and I think it's going to rise to 9.5 if certain incentives are met. Uh, that's a lot of money to play for somebody who so far I, I don't think has really been that effective. So um, Alexander Ring for me is is one of the better holding midfielders in the league as well. Hold up. Absolutely. Um, I think defensively, though, they are suspects. Yeah. Um, I know against Montreal they had um, Matarisa and Tinnerholm. Well, I like both of them. Tinnerholm's my guy. I like that Tinnerholm's very, very good, but yeah. one of the best right-backs in the league, in my opinion. They they do press they do go forwards, um, centre half though I'm, I'm I just don't know because Maxim Shano has never really impressed me. Ibiaga was very good at USL level, but but he, yeah. he's a beast. He's not really again I I, I apologise if I'm offending anybody, but he's not really done much in my opinion so far. And um, they have the player who who I know impressed very much when we all last saw. Uh, NYC um, in uh, in Minnesota back in September. That was uh, Tajuri Shradi. So mm -hmm. he came off the bench uh, against Montreal and was fairly ineffective to to my knowledge. But do you know as well what, what was quite ironic as well? The last home victory Minnesota have had was actually against New York City FC as well, oh, which is uh, <laughs> you know just me being a bit of a nerd there. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, again, I I just this is a team in my opinion, 
at home, regardless if it's the home opener or not, this is a team that in your own backyard you should beat. I just don't fancy NYCFC at the moment. They've got a lot of internal issues. Uh, I don't think they've yet figured out their best starting eleven. I don't mm-hmm. think Dominic Torren has yet figured out the best way for them to play and the best way for him to utilise their the, the the way that he wants to play and to utilise the players that he has available to him as well. Um, I don't want to jinx it, but I, I just can't see any other any other result other than a Minnesota United victory on Saturday. I really can't, Steve. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that the it, there's a lot of nice pieces uh, at NYCFC. Like I look down there, you know, they're starting 11 or I look down, you know, their roster and I'm like, oh, these, this guy's good. This guy's good. You're sort of listing off all these guys. Anton Tinnerholm, I've always liked him. Alexander Ring, but it's just not really coming together. It's not um, enough as well. You can have a couple of good pieces, but yeah. you need the players around them as well, you know? Yeah. Well, we, we, are, we are more than familiar with that here. Yeah, well, and that's <laughs> sort of the, I mean, the, I think the Matricia thing is, is, again, he's a nice player, but, you know, this comes up a lot. I don't know if this, ah, I'm trying to think if this is a conversation I see as much in soccer. It comes up a lot in basketball, which is, is can he be the best guy in a championship team? Or can he be, or is he like a second best guy in a championship team? Or is he like the best guy in a team that's, that makes the playoffs, but maybe, you know, like the, I think it's a little more in basketball because there's only five guys on each team who are starters. Right. Mm. So maybe that's not the, exactly the right thing to think of, but it it strikes me is that Matricia might be one of those guys where he'd be a good second best guy on a team, but he doesn't, he's not like, He's not ready to be the best guy in a team. Mm. Um, and it, it, it happens all the time with different roles. I think we talked, we were just talking about Angela Rodriguez and it's like hold up play is, is, is doesn't do a lot for you. If you don't have, you know, the follow up from the rest of the team, when you do have that, that it seems to work a lot better. So <laughs> Angelo's game works with, with, with the right cast around him. A lot of players are dependent upon Darwin's one of those guys where it's like, he makes things happen almost no matter who he's playing with. That's mm. a different tier of guy. So is Matricia capable of, of, of doing that? I don't know. Um, probably not would be my early uh, assessment, but again, it's like, it's early. Yeah. Yeah. You're asking him to replace, you know, David Villa, right? So, Which you can't replace no. him with, with a single player. You <laughs> yeah. know, you really can't. And I know yeah. NYCFC have gone and bought a, a Brazilian center forward Heber from the Croatian top division as well. And uh, a lot will, will rest on his shoulders as well in terms of the goal scoring responsibilities. We have to wait and see if he's the answer. You know, I mean, he came on against Montreal and and, and didn't do much, to, yeah. to my knowledge. But um, right now, I think NYCFC are one of these teams that are just trying to figure themselves out. I don't think they have a definitive answer um, and a definitive identity yeah. right now. Um, so and they're there for the taking. Exactly. Prediction? You want to throw a prediction out? Um, we don't often do predictions, but I thought I'd throw it out there. I'd love to say like three or four nil, but I can just because it's a Minnesotan sports team and I've lived here a couple of years now to understand that, you know, there is an element of, um, yeah, what, who knows what the weather's going to be. We got to, well, that's very between, true. <laughs> yeah. Between now and Saturday. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go three, one Minnesota. Okay. I was going to go three. Oh, that's my gut right now, but okay. we'll see. We'll see what the weather does. Uh, last thing I want to talk about a general, this is a general MLS question. Just something I think that a couple of people have taken notice of. Um, imagine cast your mind back to MLS cup last year. Yep. And, uh, we're getting ready for the run up to the cup and you know, we've the, everything's decided and somebody just comes up to you and says, Hey, these two teams will be at the bottom of their respective conferences. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's early, right? But man, Portland is in trouble and Atlanta hasn't played as many games as some other teams, but they haven't looked, they've, they haven't looked very good at all. It's just interesting, you know, like to just see that turnabout, you know, it, it's 
pure unbridled carnage this league is and it's why i love it so much it can just change in the flip of a coin it really can you know and i've said for a while steve i i didn't think that portland invested enough in the offseason i think they're relying too much on the now 34 year old diego chara 34 year old diego valeri um they didn't get the center forward in that they were chasing for a long time as well i i like ibobasi but i'm not convinced that he's the answer to the, the 20 goal striker that they've been used to having over the last couple of years in the shape of Fernando Adi and, and the sprinkling of, of supporting cast around him as well, who have, who have chipped in with a load of goals. Um, you know, so I, I, um, it, it's amazing to see what, what's happening there. But um, what I will say is obviously the Timbers have started all their games on the road yeah. because their stadium has been remodeled. Um, so I would expect them to pick things up towards the, towards the latter end of the season. Um, and maybe they'll they'll gain some inspiration uh, from uh, just up the I five and Seattle, Seattle, you know. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> hey, yeah, that is sort of the Seattle model. Uh, yeah, well, be, yeah, don't say that in Portland. Um, <laughs> but Atlanta's a real head scratcher, isn't it? Right now, yeah. I mean, they they have absolutely every single piece to their puzzle that they could possibly need, um, and it's not working. It's just not working. Um, DeBoer has to take the blame he has to because they've essentially got the same roster without without Miguel Almiron obviously but they they replaced Almiron with an exceptional player in Pity Martinez um do you know the, the biggest thing for me though with them Steve is, is that they they haven't got a, a proper holding midfielder who's capable right now hold up <laughs> without, without holding mid what, what do you got you so got uh, this is the thing as well so Lorentowitz has been asked to play a, a lot of different roles right now uh, but he's 34. Got a lot of 34 year olds in the show this week. We do, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Um, Phillips, Diego Chara, Diego Valeri. 34. It's the age of the people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just put them out to pasture. Yeah. <laughs> How old are you? You're all, no, you're, no. You're, you're, you're years away from that. I'm five years from that. Yeah. yeah. yeah anyway, um, the, um, the the issue for them is that I, I don't I don't think Eric Remedy is the player that they thought he was uh, in this system, and I think because a lot of the time they had the either the energy of Darlington Nagbe alongside him to cover ground or the uh, the reading of the game of Lorentowitz alongside him. Uh, I think he had a lot more protection than um, and a lot more help in that role than he, than he has right now um, last year. And um, they, they can't get the ball up to the, the forwards quick enough. They can't yeah. get the ball up to the, the forward players quick enough. And, um, you know, that that's where Atlanta are at their best, where they're driving forward, you know, and they yeah. scare the... The Jesus out of people when they when they gallivant forward, you know, and and I just don't think they move the ball quick enough right now. And, and as I said, for me, it it the blame has to go with the manager. Yeah. And I, I like Frank De Boer. I think he's been incredibly unfortunate some of the places he's gone. It was awful at Inter Milan. It didn't work for him there. Crystal Palace, um, he he didn't have the players that he needed to implement his his style and system. But again, you know, a, a lot of that he has to set the blame for, in my opinion. But at Ajax, where it was, in inverted commas, total football and free-flowing Dutch supremacy. It was wonderful to watch. Um, I I just think there are a lot of foreign managers that come into this league and don't realize how good it is. And I'm not, I'm not putting him, I'm not casting him in that category just yet. Sure. But my mind is starting to wonder. Yeah. Is, is he someone who thought, right, well, I'm going to go and and um, go to the champions. You got one of the most talented rosters. I mean, with, with just, a just big budget. On paper. Yeah, right. huge and I, budget. I wonder talent. if he kind of thought, 
I don't need to do much with this. Yeah. And actually, he's underestimated how good this league is. So yeah. we'll see. But um, yeah, I think we have to see whether he either thought he d- wasn't going to have to do much or else he thought, I'm going to be able to do this easily. Like, I'm going to be able to change things because obviously they're playing in a different sort of way and he has a different you know mode of attack than than we saw last year. So um, Yeah, with the five at the back as well, it's, yeah. it's bizarre right now. Did he think like, okay, I can do this because I have this budget and I have these players and it's just not coming together or did he under, like, did he overestimate or underestimate? And mm. then like, and that'll, I think we'll see, you know, if he, if he really has a vision and it's just sort of it sinking in, then maybe it kicks in soon. If, if he didn't really have a vision and said he sort of, he's like, well, this is what I've done other places. Let's see if it works. Then it might never really come together. So, I yeah. mean, I still expect them. I still expect them to make the playoffs. Yeah, me like, too. You me know, too. I, I don't think they're going to stay at the bottom. They're going to score two goals the entire <laughs> year. <laughs> it's early. It's yeah. really early. That's what we got to remember. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for the 52nd Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Saturday, April 13th against New York City FC at 4 p.m. That game is being played at... Um, where is it again? I think it's uh, it's this place, it's this little 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 stadium called Allianz Field. Uh, it's in the Midway neighborhood of, of St. Paul. Get there early. We've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, but honestly, everything kicks off at noon. Uh, gates are open at uh, 1.30, I think. Is that right? Yes, that's yes. correct. Yes. Okay. Normally, they'd be at 2.30, right? Is that and I think there's, there's loads of stuff going on at 12 p.m. Yeah. from the, the target, uh, the Bullseye Fan Zone. The Bullseye Fan Zone well. is yeah. going to be there. Four north on the side floors. of the stadium, I think. Yeah, north side of the stadium. Four on the floor is playing. It's going to be fantastic. You can watch that game on ESPN, a little a network. It's a sort of a startup um, out of <laughs> Connecticut. It's terrific. Uh, you can listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entrus. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you. And people can like you exactly as you are.